This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. In his book, Race and Reunion, historian David Blight reminds us that how a society remembers its past is a good indication of how the people of that society see themselves. What are the challenges that we face with our collective memory? And what do those challenges tell us about ourselves? Marcus and I will explore these and other questions on today's show. Stay tuned and we'll be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. Pleased to be here in the studio. Pleased to be here once again with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, here we are again about to embark on this conversation about collective memory. Yeah, it's been a while, but we said we cannot seem to escape this, this theme of collective historical memory. It's been with us since the beginning, hasn't it? It seems yeah. to be around us everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> we, we see it, uh, you know. This, it's a ghost. <laughs> it really is. And I think it's going to be a conversation that's going to continue for some time. I think, I so. think uh, you know, we're just kind of in this, you know, I mean, we look at what's going on nationally on the political scene. I think that it is actually contributing to contributing to this ongoing discussion about yeah. about yeah. this issue. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think one of the things about um, about memory um, with and this has come up in previous shows is that it tends to be selective. It does. Right. You know, it there's does. something about the maybe the nature of the process of remembering um, that is curatorial. That yeah. involves the inclusion of some things and the exclusion of others. And that raises questions for me. I'm not sure about you as right. a historian, but for me, that raises questions about uh, to what extent can we fully trust historical memory right. if it is selective in this way? Right. Um, and I don't know. It, it raises some, some interesting some interesting issues. And at some points, you know, Marcus, I, I tend, when I talk to people about history and they're referring to the historical past, yeah. nostalgia seems to kind of uh, mm. polish it a little mm. bit and color the way people actually remember the past. Mm. So and when you when you kind of call them on that, you know, you can get some pushback from people. So this yeah. whole issue of nostalgia, what is it that, you know? That yeah. it, that we're we're actually remembering, and yeah. I find that people have a difficult time dealing with some of the hard truths about yeah. the past. They try to avoid that. So we reference David Blight again in his work, Race oh, Reunion. Yeah. This is one of my favorite favorite books. We had David here on the show. Yeah, yeah that was one of the fa- my favorite shows that we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so engaging as David talked about this issue of collective memory, especially around the Civil War. Mm-hmm. For those in our od- audience who uh, remember. Remember that conversation with David, you know, I'm pleased to to say that he just won the Pulitzer Prize for his most recent book on Frederick Douglass, which is Mm. uh, actually, I think, will be his magnum opus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, thinking about David's book, um, Race and Reunion and the American Civil War, that 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 may be the period in the American um, historical uh, narrative or story or experience that is the most difficult to remember in in a thorough uh less selective way right. uh, because it is because there's there's a lot going on around that um period and before it's slavery for example mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is just very very uncomfortable and that undercuts this um what i would call the myth of american innocence right 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 so america likes to imagine itself as as innocent um mm-hmm. and as to invoke the language of john winthrop a city upon a hill, hill that's right. well how do you square that mythology how do you reconcile it with um the brute facts mm-hmm. <laughs> of what led to the american civil war right and and what does that what burden does that impose upon the country right. in terms of its historical memory. It is. And how do people engage it? Um, you know, the Washington Post, I think sometime last year, actually had an article uh, that 
uh, talked about, and, and we won't get into it in this segment of the show. We'll yeah. get into this more in, in a later segment. But how people are uncomfortable with engaging, yeah. especially the antebellum story of American Ooh. history um, and that period before the Civil War and especially with slavery. I am actually teaching American uh, the American Civil War and Reconstruction again this semester. And it's interesting because I started the class out this semester uh, talking to my students about, you know, America and does America have a mission? And it was interesting mm. to see that there, the students were very slow to respond to <laughs> this uh, to this question, um, which you know makes me think. Okay, w- what do the founding documents say? Mm. What did they mean when they were written? But there's a whole host of issues, Marcus, that emerged during this period of time. Yeah. And so I know that you and I both are looking forward to engaging this topic again. And we're going to do that with our guest today, Miss Kimberly Floyd, who has been here with us before. But Marcus and I will be back in a moment, and we'll have that conversation with Kimberly. Well, again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show. I'm Darren Waters here at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. So glad that you all are with us. Glad to be here again on this topic. This is a favorite topic of mine to discuss this whole issue of collective memory. I have uh, not only taught classes on it, Marcus, but I've you know written about it, as have you. You and I have had many in-depth conversations about this. But we're so glad again to have Kimberly Floyd here in the studio with us. In our audience, those of you who uh, follow the show kind of uh, uh, loyally will know that Kimberly has been here before. We had her here a time before with uh, Dr. Gordon McKinney. Kimberly is the site manager at the Vance Birthplace and Historic Site. And so Kimberly has been right in the middle of this issue as well, this very controversial issue of collective memory. So, Kimberly, we're so glad to have you back here in the studio. So welcome to the studio. Welcome again, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. So, you know, let's just jump right in. There's no reason to no reason to beat around the bush. Um, You know, we referenced earlier the show uh, that uh, that we did with you and Dr. McKinney. And that was a discussion about Zebulon Vance and Mm -hmm. Zebulon Vance's legacy, Civil War governor, Senator after that served as governor again after the Civil War was over. Um, really, you know, uh, you know, when you look at Western North Carolina, native son of Buncombe County, really is held up as this kind of uh, towering figure in the western part of the state and throughout the state, really. But we were having a conversation in that first um, uh we were talking about in that first conversation with you and Dr. McKinney about Vance's legacy, and we were doing a um, a symposium around yes. that. Can you kind of update us on how that turned out? <laughs> sure. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a, a little while now. That symposium was held in 2017, mm-hmm. September Time 2017. Flies, I know. Uh, so the idea around the entire symposium uh, was to discuss Vance's legacy or lack thereof, really just to get as many people as we could in the room together um, and and just discuss this contested legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, some people really love Vance or some people really hate Vance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really what we were wanting to get into and address. Um, and I would say, you know, uh, we did that. Uh, it's been two years now, so I've had some time to really reflect on how that went. Um, I, 
you know, initially it, it went off pretty well, but I would say it went off pretty well, honestly, because the audience was all uh, primarily white. And it was uh, white people who were comfortable with contesting Vance's legacy. Um, So initially, I would say in the first few months after, I was a little disappointed in the symposium. And part of that was because we didn't didn't have a diverse attendance. But as I reflected on that more, I thought to myself, why would any African Americans come to the symposium? Why? Um, For so long, you know, the Vance birthplace, State Historic Site um, has been seen as a site that didn't tell, you know, a, an inclusive story, a broad story, a full story. And so there's really just a lack of trust there. And I think it was um, probably naive of me to assume that uh, one symposium would get that job done. And, and of course, it doesn't. It takes time to build that. But um, as I spent then, say, another year reflecting on it, um, I started to also realize that there were not many white people in the room that would have disagreed, um, the people who disagree with contesting Vance's legacy, those people weren't there. The mm. people who love Vance weren't there. So, um, well, Why do you think that was the case? I mean, uh, fair question. Fair and, question. You know, you know, okay. Sure. Um, I think um, when we start talking about, it's impossible to talk about Vance without talking, and his legacy without talking about slavery, without talking about racism, without talking mm-hmm. about white supremacy. Uh, and for many people, they they label this as a difficult history. Um, and for, I would say, the difficult part is really the reaction to the history, not the history mm-hmm. itself. It's really more a necessary history is what many people would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what's what's happening is we, um, kind of what you all discussed a little bit before, but really this, this cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. where people are being confronted with um, new information that conflicts with um, what they have always known or what they learned in school or what they grew up understanding. So I think that's probably why Why would anyone want to put themselves in that situation? Um, it's yeah. not comfortable. So, yeah. And Kimberly, as the, as the um, Vans birthplace site manager, there's a question that I'm, I'm just desperate to get your perspective on. And I think, it, I think the question bears on this whole issue of collective memory. And the question is... Um, why remember why is it important to remember Vance at all? I mean, so I can remember so so I can easily imagine uh maybe students of mine or some or some activist group or or somebody of that ilk um making the case uh that this is precisely the kind of person who should be purged from the American um historical memory. And so I I'm, I'm just curious to get your your point of view um as one who is sort of operating operating as a kind of um shall we say, a critical custodian, right, of um, Vance's Vance's legacy. That's a fair question. Yeah, I like that term, critical custodian. (laughs) I like that term, too. (laughs) I'm going to start using that. Um, Wow, yeah. Um, As a public historian, I think it is extremely important to always tell um, the most inclusive, uh, broadest narrative that you can tell. Mm. And so I think... It all is so connected. It is really difficult to tell the story of slavery and or what we talk about on a daily basis. We're talking about slavery in Western North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I can't 
really tell that story fully without talking about Zebulon Vance and the impact mm. that his views had on other people. Mm. Um, I, I think there's a difference between talking about Vance and his story and his narrative and how that works throughout history and and glorifying Vance. Mm. So those are, are really kind of different things. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I think some of those things the, those two things get wrapped up together and people mm-hmm. think that just by talking about Vance we're glorifying him but mm-hmm. instead to fully encompass and understand the narrative you need the whole narrative mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's it, it you that's why it's so important right yeah. and, and, and clearly that's exactly what it is that you all are attempting to do is mm-hmm. to is to confront it head-on and that means including that story in there so I did ask you, you know, your thoughts uh, about why those who are supporters are love Vance would not engage in the symposium. Kimberly, have you thought about why African-Americans wouldn't engage it and why should they? Why why should they actually? Because I feel you and I've had this conversation before. We should. We should be involved in that process. We should be we should engage the conversation. We should have some influence over how the narrative is actually shaped. So, you know, what is your what what is your perspective on that as to why uh, people of color should engage this conversation? Um, well, I would say that uh, first, I would never it, I would never want to force anyone who mm-hmm. wasn't ready to engage in it to engage in it. Mm-hmm. It is an emotional history. It is, um, you know, when we take people on tour, they are um, confronted with some, you know, um, difficult stories that might be hard to hear. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, th- I think I understand why um, African Americans would not want to necessarily visit the site. Mm-hmm. Some people are more ready for that than others. Some people don't want to step in an original slave dwelling. Mm-hmm. Um, that's understandable. But for those, um, for people who are ready to discuss that, I think um, it's important because honestly, we need all the perspectives we can get. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm not, uh, if you don't have a diverse visitation or involvement in your site, it makes it harder to um, tell a broad and inclusive narrative Mm -hmm. if you don't have a broad and inclusive visitation or engagement. And so while it's difficult, um, I think it is, it's necessary to be able to do, to, to do yeah. the best justice to the job. Yeah, which 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 brings to mind for me, Kimberly, um, the work that that has been undertaken undertaken at the birth at the uh, birthplace, um, involving, <clears throat> excuse me, making um, the African American story more central. Right? Um, can you speak a little bit about how that particular project is going? I know that the symposium probably helped um, or was related to that in, in, in some in some significant ways, but uh, more that you want to say about, about that particular sure. challenge. Um, <laughs> challenge. Challenge is a good way to describe that. Uh, so I would say, um, you know, Vance is an ongoing process uh, that began before my time. So there were staff mm. there before doing research on um, the enslaved people. And then, um, you know, when I came on, I was continuing the research and then basically, you know, starting to incorporate and implement that. Um, So we do that on a daily basis now. For example, we've um, added in a tablet that we take around on tour that 
has mm. primary sources that we can show people, um, estate sales showing um, the enslaved people who were sold, how much they were sold for, mm. um, mm. things like that. Um, we're able to bring that that kind of thing up and show it to people. Um, I think it's gonna it's it's slow process. Mm. It's gonna continue because it's never done. Right. Mm. Um, discussing this history is never going to be done. It's a work in progress because we're all a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. I think about some of the tours I've given in the past at other sites I've worked at. And I cringe a little bit, honestly, thinking about some of the things that I may have said in the past that I would never say now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And, you know, it really is just an ongoing learning experience. I can actually think of a really specific one. Um, that happened to me recently. Uh, I went to a training about a year ago, January of last year, with the Smithsonian's um, African American History and Culture Museum. And the training was held in Charleston. And it was on interpreting African American history. And um, one of the leaders of the training was Sean Halifax, who works at McLeod Plantation in Charleston. And it was a fully week-long immersive program and uh, I, we were talking about the difficulties around interpreting slavery specifically. And I was really struggling because um, with how to rework and implement what I wanted to do with the tour. Uh, and I, I, I said to him, I'm really struggling because I, I don't have any primary sources. I don't have the content hmm. that I need to back it up. And so when people... <laughs> inevitably challenged me Mm -hmm. on tour i don't have the stuff uh and he looked at me and he said i have a question for you how many of the hundreds of artifacts in the vance house are original to the vance family Mm -hmm. and i said three and he said yet you make a story for the vances every single day Mm. and i just like i it was a complete aha moment for me i thought oh my god you're right i do do that and i'm a trained historian i've been working in this field for 14 years and i i struggled myself and i think that's the point is that it's a continuous process Mm -hmm. a continuous conversation and kind of darren goes back to what you asked about why it's so important to have diverse involvement in the site Mm -hmm. um to get that 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 help that feedback and that perspective because um you know and and also to have people in place who are willing to listen Mm -hmm. but um that was kind of really an aha moment for me. Man, powerful story. You know, Kimberly, and I think here of um, some of the stories that you all are telling as you try to look more uh, squarely and more focused at the African-American component of the story at Vance Birthplace. And the story of Venus, can we talk a little bit about that? Because you all do some programming around this story. Can you tell us who was Venus and how are you all actually working with the, with Venus's story there at Vance Birthplace? Sure. Uh, so we talk about Venus every day on tour. Um, so if someone comes and takes one of our tours, uh, she we talk about her then. Um, um, we actually talk about um, a lot of the uh, the there were 18 enslaved people um, on the Vance plantation. So we talk a lot about um, uh, the different people. But uh, Venus specifically, we have a program on her at the holidays mm-hmm. um, and it's called an Appalachian Christmas Carol. Uh, and we partner with the American Myth Center here in Asheville. And they were brave enough to <laughs> go out on this venture with me. We just did it for the third year this year. Uh, it's a very different program, and it's it's quite difficult because 
at the holidays, I think people are expecting sometimes to not have to think, not to be confronted um, mm. with some yeah. of these stories, <laughs> as you <laughs> can imagine. Yeah. Uh, so the idea is that it's based on Dickens' Christmas Carol. Okay. Uh, visitors mm. come to the site, and they are visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, and they are learning the story of Venus. Venus was enslaved by the Vance family. She um, served, she likely did many jobs, but we know for sure she took care of all the children. Um, one of the stories that we have around Venus was actually comes from Dowd biography on Zebulon Vance, mm-hmm. which has to be taken with a grain of salt because the Vance uh, family actually paid Dowd to write that biography. <laughs> so um, one of the anecdotes in that book is from um, Vance's brother, Robert, And he talks about the 1844 estate sale when David Vance Jr. had passed away. And he tells the story about Venus going up to the auction block and carrying Hannah, his sister, and saying, whoever takes me takes my child. And then as his story goes, you know, a hush fell over the crowd and Myra Baird Vance bid one dollar and nobody contested it. And so she was able to go back and stay with the children. Now. That's a family legend. I have no idea if that's actually true. What I do know is that Venus did go up for sale on the auction block in 1844. And I do know that she was bought back for a dollar because we have the record. Um, So we tell that story. You're learning about that story on uh, this program that you walk through. It's basically vignettes that are set up. We use a lot of shadow theater um, to display the different scenes. Um, And then we, at the end of the program, address um, empathy. I mean, we basically say, we don't know if Venus had any children. Um, If she had children, they likely would have grown up, you know, during the Jim Crow era. Um, And at the end, we ask people, we say, you know, Vance, did not continued white supremacist policies throughout mm-hmm. policies throughout his lifetime, mm-hmm. um, but you moving forward, how can we create empathy? And so then they they write their ideas down on ornaments actually and, and right. Oh, yeah, powerful. Yeah, it is. Um, so Kimberly, as 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 we were discussing sort of before the show, there was last year there was a, a piece in the Washington Post um, about uh, discomfort, right, that many Americans experience with respect to. Um, being called upon to remember, for instance, um, American chattel slavery. Um, thoughts about what, what, and I think we probably have um, begun to touch on this already, but any thoughts you might have about what, um, what accounts for that discomfort um, when you know, slavery is such a prominent uh, component of the project of American empire? Um, you know, so thoughts about that. I, I think this comes back to what we discussed earlier with the cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. It's it's um and and the loss of learning. You're people feel like you're attacking their ego, their identity, their self identity, mm-hmm. who they are. Um and so because for so long it hasn't been confronted. Um and so, you know, I am I've been working in the field for 14 years at three different plantations now and I am very familiar with the pushback um, what people will ask what people will say Um, and so you know I think that that that's a big part of it um, is just that they're hearing something potentially that they haven't heard before or haven't heard in school and so you know or heard something different at home and so when you're confronting them with facts um, that you know no, Venus was enslaved here and sold for a dollar. 
think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be really hard for people. And I, I think that also comes, the reason that it's difficult for some people is because I think they struggle with admitting when you start talking about the legacy of Zebulon Vance, you you have to talk about the fact that what he did impacts today. Mm-hmm. And so people are pushing back because they don't, it, it makes them question how they are, what they're doing today. Mm-hmm. Is what they're doing today helping or hurting this, you know, particular, you know, the disenfranchisement of African Americans? Right, right. So um, I think at the root of it, it's it's fear. It is. It's interesting because, you know, we're, we're talking about this Washington Post article and Kimberly, you and I have talked about it uh, quite a bit prior to coming into the studio for this show. Um, it was in the Washington Post. The date for it was what? October 8th, uh, 2019. Um, and it was uh, the title for it was some white people don't want to hear about slavery at plantations built by slaves. And, and it brings up the question, what do people expect when they come and visit these sites? You know, because one <laughs> One person is quoted here in the story as having left a comment of saying it was just not what we expected, you know, mm-hmm. when they're confronted with this issue of slavery. Um, another person actually said, I was depressed by the time that I left. So, you know, you see comments like that, and I'm sure that you've seen some of these comments. Um, can you share any of what <laughs> you have seen, even at Vance Birthplace? And, and What are people expecting, you know, when they come and what suggestions do you have as to how historic sites actually deal with this? Mm -hmm. Uh, I I can definitely talk to you about comments we've had at Vance Birthplace and some others. Um, One of the most common comments we hear today at the Vance Birthplace is you're trying to erase history. That's probably the most common uh, comment. so, you know, typically what I would say, you know, is we are always trying to tell a broad and inclusive narrative, tell the entire story. Um, I think probably, you know, what's happening there is that I can understand if someone is looking at it from the context of my history is history. And if you look at it that way, then sharing someone else's probably does feel like it's erasing Mm -hmm. um, history. So my follow-up questions typically in those situations is, one, to try and recognize the pain that they're feeling with that cognitive dissonance and loss of learning, which they are definitely feeling at that time, um, and reframe it with an open-ended question to try and get them to reflect Mm -hmm. and think a little bit more. So something like, how would you feel if your history wasn't erased, but mm-hmm. instead never existed? All right. Kimberly, you know, time flies so quickly and so many issues that come up in the course of this conversation. But we're going to have to have you back to discuss this further and deeper, um, because I think, you know, we need to continue to have this conversation about how we confront this past. Um, and so Marcus and I want to thank you for joining us again yeah, on the show. So and then Marcus and I are going to step out for just a quick second. Right. We'll be back in a moment. Well, again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show, and this has been a good show, Marcus. I, I hate the time goes so quickly so um, because I think we were just getting, really yeah. getting going. And, you know, we need to continue to confront the past. I mean, we can't yeah. just say the past is the past. I mean, uh, John Hope Franklin used a term that said the past is the past is it, the past is not the past yeah, was. Yeah. It still lives with us. Yeah, and one of the one of the points I take away from Kimberly's remarks is uh, is that <clears throat> remembering the act of remembering can be frightening. Mm-hmm. 
because one of the things at stake in remembering potentially is identity. Yeah. Right. Oh, so yeah. so this this just ups the stakes, ups the ante as far as the importance of this conversation right. about it, memory. It really yeah. does. And so, I, you know, um, I want to applaud Kimberly for the work that they're doing at the Vance Brothers birthplace i don't know if she knew when she took on this career that she's going to be fall right in the middle of all of these political controversies i have said a number of times i never knew that becoming a historian would mean that you would be confronting all of sometimes very angry audiences so we applaud kimberly for the work that they're doing at the band's birthplace and we'll continue to support her in those efforts but again marcus and i want to remind you that the watterson harvest show is produced at blue ridge public radio in Asheville, north carolina and you can listen to our podcast on bpr.org on the BPR mobile app and on Apple Music and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And Marcus and I will talk to you next time. Take care.